Oh. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm 97. Uh, Psalm 97 is where we will uh, be uh, this morning as we continue our summer series through uh, the Psalms. Uh, and so uh, I was telling somebody earlier, I like teaching through Psalms during the summer uh, because there's a little bit of freedom in a sense of what Psalm we're going to next versus uh, versus in a good word. But in comparison to what we do during uh, from August to May with the book of Acts is just going, picking up where we left off the, the, the previous Sunday. And so Psalm 97 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, as you're flipping there, a couple of announcements. If I can get my phone out of my back pocket. Uh, we have, uh, first of all, uh, if you have baby bottles that we uh, collected or took uh, home with us to collect some money for the Choices Clinic, if you haven't turned that in, um, bring that back and you can put it in the foyer and that way we can get those uh, to them. Uh, as we prayed earlier, we have a team uh, this Saturday leaving to go to the, to the Dominican Republic uh, and uh, we'll be praying for them as they go. On July the 23rd, uh, we are having our, our next family meeting and that's uh, uh, where just for church members where we gather together. It's the cross points way of a business meeting. We call it a family meeting. Uh, and so we'll hear from our next point team. We'll also, there's a church uh, things that we're going to introduce or uh, begin to move forward on. And so please make plans to be here for that uh, evening. It's at 5 p.m. Uh, we will have food here uh, and we're going to work on, we got some fun things outside. We're going to hang out, just make a fun night of it, not just a meeting. We're going to hang out and have a fun time of fellowship as well. Also, you saw it in the foyer uh, on July the 27th. We have, we're hosting a a paint night with our very own Adam Trest. Uh, and so uh, this is on social media. If you can help share us, uh, this is what our first big fundraiser for our, our building uh, uh, plans that our next point is putting forward. And so please make uh, plans to attend that uh, and share it on social media and tell everybody it's uh, July 27th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Y in downtown Laurel. So anyway, uh, there's flyers out there if you want to pick them up. Also, it's on, like I said, social media. You can share. Now, Psalm 97. I want to go ahead. Uh, actually, you take this for me. That way it don't vibrate up here and make me get distracted. We don't need any of that. Uh, Psalm 97, what I want to do is I want to read it into its entirety to, to begin with and let the Word speak to us, and then we will dive in and we will try to explain the Word and apply the Word. And so let's, let's read Psalm 97, verse 1. It says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Uh, I thought about the DR this week, yours may say the isles or islands there, and so let the islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes down before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. <clears throat> o you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. 
Light is sown for the righteous and the joy and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is God's word. May he bless the reading and the teaching of it. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we pray now as we turn our eyes uh, and our attention to your word. God, you'll give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to believe. Uh, Holy Spirit, teach us what we don't know. Uh, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 97, the way that I want to set this up, I entitled this sermon, A God-Centered Worldview. A God-Centered Worldview. <clears throat> it wasn't until probably into my early 20s, mid-20s that I even began to hear the word worldview. Uh, even though I knew what it was, it just I, you didn't hear about it much anymore. And so for you and I as believers, we live in a world that is full of different views of how the world exists and why the world exists and the purpose of the world existing. Uh, and so it's, in order, it's important for you and I to begin to develop a God-centered worldview. Uh, it's really, ultimately, if, if, there's really two options where there's the God-centered worldview or a man-centered worldview, and where you land leads you in two different directions. One of hope, one of direction, one of purpose, and one of just we're wasting our time here, where there's not much hope to be found. And so the, if you were to Google worldview, you would come see this definition, that a worldview is a collection of attitudes, values, and expectations about the world around us, which inform our every thought and action. A worldview is exactly that, our view of the world, how it exists, why it exists, what's the purpose of it existing. Uh, another definition that I liked is uh, our worldview is how we explain and interpret the world, and hear this too, but also how we apply this view to our life. So not just how we explain it or interpret it, but how we apply that view to our life, how it dictates our life. Ultimately, our worldview is what directs ourselves and the way we live our life, how we react to things, how we don't react to things, how we live our life, how we raise our families, how we manage our finances, how we look at life and death and everything about it. Our worldview is what shapes that thing in those directions. A world is full of many different types, and I just listed a few. There's, there's a dualism, which ultimately means there's just two opposing forces, good and evil, that are just at work one, against one another. And whoever wins, wins, and there's really nothing other than just there's good and there's bad. There's evil and there's good. And then there's humanism, which really teaches that man is the center of everything, that from him to him and, and for him are all things, that man is the center of everything in the wild world exists. There's fatalism, which believes that life is just a by faith, by faith. And whatever it is, it is. And whatever it will be, it will be. And there's nothing we can really do to change that or impact that. There's deism, not theism. There's deism, which believes that God created everything and then just kind of stepped back and has no, no inner workings with what's happening that he started. He, he spun it into being and then he stepped back and he just sat down and now the world is just doing whatever it does. There's synergism, which means there's a joint effort between God and man, but each one has their own responsibility to make things happen. There's relativism, which means there's no objective truth, and what's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you. There is no objective truth. It is to each his own. There's pragmatism, which means we just do whatever's best. There's positivism, uh, where it means just good thinking and right thinking. That's how we live our life. There's hedonism, which would 
Be YOLO. You only got one life. Just live it up to satisfy the desires and the passions of your life and try to forsake pain. But for the believer, there's theism, which means there's one ruling God who does not share that rule with anyone or anything. That is our worldview in which we live, that there is a God who created all things, and he didn't step back. He is sovereignly ruling every matter, and he does not share that rule with any person or anything. And for you and I, it's important for us to begin to develop, to be able to interpret not just our good days, but even our struggles and our pain through the lens in which God is sovereignly ruling all things according to the counsel of his will. And Psalm 97, I believe, gives us that lens. It starts by saying, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns reigns and the sermon ultimately could be finished there. The Lord reigns. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? Then he reigns. He sits upon a throne and he reigns. And so this morning, I'm, the teaching is going to be a little bit different. Instead of really walking through the passage and structure now, you know, here's a point here, here's a point there. What we're going to do is the, the, the main point is the Lord reigns. And then we're going to walk through Psalm 97 and see what that looks like, what that means, really give adjectives to that statement that the Lord reigns. And what you'll see, and I actually didn't see it until just a few minutes before we start, is that through the psalm, David, the, or the, the psalmist goes through and ultimately he tells the earth to rejoice in the Lord. He tells the enemies that they're going to rejoice in the Lord, and he tells the saints to rejoice in the Lord. Ultimately, that the Lord reigns impacts even those who believe in him and those who don't. Even the ground in which we stand rejoice that the Lord reigns. Even those who don't bow the knee now will one day bow the knee and confess with their tongue that the Lord reigns. So, Psalm 97, verse 1, it says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. The Lord reigns, the Lord is sovereign, he is sovereignly ruling. You listen to me, child of God, our, our worldview begins and ends with the Lord reigns. That he is seated upon his throne, that there is nothing that happens that doesn't get his permission, that my life and your life has lived under the reign of God as he sits on his throne. That ultimately, if you and I cannot get to the point that we agree with and that we say that the Lord reigns, then we're never going to have a healthy worldview of what's going on in this place, on this place called the earth. That it doesn't mean just because the Lord's reigning doesn't mean that bad things don't happen or that hurricanes don't hit coastlines or tornadoes don't hit so-so Mississippi or this, that, and the other. But what it does mean when the Lord is reigning, I mean, he is sovereignly ruling of everything. It doesn't necessarily make those things that give, uh, go away, but it gives order and it gives reason and it gives a direction to where all those things are headed. And that's the glory of the one who is seated upon the throne. Even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, <laughs> even if I don't see what's going, I know because he is sovereignly ruling everything to the, according to the counsel of his will that is headed towards the direction. That this world, this life isn't lived out just by happenstance. It isn't just, it is what it, what it is and God has nothing to do with it. That even in the brokenness of humanity, that God is still working things out to the counsel according, according to the counsel of his will. So what does it mean that the Lord reigns? 
for taking notes. The first is that he reigns exclusively. It says, who does it say the reign? It says, the Lord reigns. Not Baal, not Herod, not Buddha, not Muhammad. The Lord alone reigns. He alone sits on the throne that sovereignly rules the, all, all the affairs of the universe. He alone is the one who sits on the throne and tells the sun when to come up and when rain to fall out of a cloud. It is he who says it is time for this person to be born and this person to die. It is he who says it's time for this person to be named this and this person to be named that. Is this, is this person's time to come to faith in Jesus? It is he who sits upon the throne. He alone is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He alone reigns. Not only is it exclusive, but it's constantly, it says he reigns. It's in the, it's in the present tense as it continues. And it's not that, that, that God one day started reigning and he ended, or he's waiting to reign when Christ comes. It's that he reigns. It's active. It's his, it's his, eternal, his eternal action. He didn't stop. He's not waiting to begin. He constantly reigns. That each and every day, there's not a moment that he takes off. He doesn't go take a nap. Psalmist teaches that he never sleeps nor slumbers. He is always constantly reigning. There's nothing that happens that he goes, man, I shouldn't have taken a nap then. I, did, I missed that. There's not a day that you and I wake up that God goes, hey, can you hold it for a moment? I just, I just need to rest. He's constantly reigning. Not only that, but he's actively reigning. He isn't this passive God. It says that he reigns as in it is what he is currently doing. He is currently reigning. He's not a passive God. He's an active one. And this isn't in this text, but what we see in the Psalms also, that he's, he, he reigns irresistibly. It's in a sense that there's no power that can thwart his reign. That he sits upon the throne himself, and he sovereignly rules the universe, and there's nothing that anyone, no power of hell, no demon in hell, can thwart his reign. Can you understand why this is important for you and I to develop this worldview that no matter what's going on, that our God is reigning and there's nothing, no power, like I said, no power in hell, no scheme of man that can knock him off his throne. Psalm 115.3 says like this, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Whatever he wants to do, he does. And there's nobody that can keep him from doing that. Psalm 135, 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven, on earth, in the seas, and all the deeps. Up there, down here, to the deepest part, wherever it is, he does what he wants to. Why? Because he's the one who created it, and he sovereignly rules and reigns over it. And so he says, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. You and mine and your response to, as followers of Jesus, that the Lord is reigning, is that our response is rejoicing. Does the mere fact that the Lord reigns, does it cause you to rejoice? Does it uplift your spirits even in the darkest of times to say, our God reigns? That there's nothing that can happen to me or nothing that anybody can do to keep him from reigning. In full absolute authority. Because he says, the Lord reigns, so you, he says the earth, uh, Spurgeon said it like this, that even the, the globe itself rejoices that its creator is reigning. Does the mere fact that the Lord reigns over every area of life, does it cause you to rejoice even in the bad things, even in the uncomfortable things, that he's still reigning? Because Romans 8.28 is still in the scriptures, that he's working all things. For the good, 
of those who are called to him. Those who are called by his grace, that no matter what happens in my life, I may not like it, it may be painful, but I know that even if I don't experience, listen, here's the, even if I don't experience the, the positive outcome or whatever I'm walking through, that I know that in, in, in eternity, the glory that I will be seen or be revealed to be is so much greater, as Paul writes, than anything that I can face now. That I may not see the good that God's bringing out of my struggle right now, but it's preparing an eternal weight of glory that I'm going to praise him even more on the other side. So we may not see it now. Listen, that's where we got to time out for a moment because oftentimes we want to see the, we want to see the rainbow as we, after we got through the storm. But sometimes it don't happen on this side of eternity. It's on the other side. But I do know that he is working. He is sovereignly ruling in a way that everything is headed to one direction, and that's the praise of his glory. And what I understand is that was what I was created to do. So whatever is happening to me, if it's going to cause me to, to give him praise and glory, then that's what I need. You also see the Great Commission in this. It says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many islands or coastlands be glad. Literally, the psalmist is saying, even those out there that we can't see, that we know they're there, let them rejoice in the Lord. Let him rejoice in the one that's reigning. And that's why we go on mission. How does, and we, we obviously we know that God has created all things and he, 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 he's sovereignly ruling all things, but in the, in the context of the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ expanding, how does he come to reign in the life of others through the preaching of the gospel? That's why we go to the islands, if you will, so that we can preach the good news of Jesus, that the whole earth may be glad that he's reigning, not just in heaven as in over the earth, but in the lives of people. The Lord reigns. He's reigning in mine in your life now. Let the islands know that reign. Let the islands rejoice that he's reigning. How do we do that? We go and we preach the good news. Sorry, I lost where I'm at. <clears throat> the Lord reigns exclusively, constantly, actively, irresistibly. Next, whatever number it is, he reigns perfectly. Look at verse 2. It says, the clouds... And thick, dark, thick darkness are all around him. It's that picture that he's so glorious and holy. It's the idea of him concealing, really it's two pictures. There's one sense that he's concealing his own glory, that he's so majestic that we can't see it. Not because we're so sinful, but because he's so holy, as Luke reminded us last week, is that it's because of who he is, not necessarily because of who we are. But it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The Lord reigns, and he's sitting on a throne, and the foundation of that throne is righteousness and justice. So when we're thinking through how do we view this world, how do we view anything and everything that we face, how do we decipher and translate and interpret, we start with the Lord reigns. And he is seated upon a throne, and then on the foundation of that throne is righteousness and justice. As in, he's keeping the books, and he will execute it flawlessly. I try to think of creative ways I could say this, but I'm going to actually read a long excerpt from Spurgeon. This is how Spurgeon explained this verse. He said, 
There he abides. He never departs from strict justice and right. His throne is fixed upon the rock of eternal holiness. Righteousness is his immutable attribute, and judgment marks his every act. What though we cannot see or understand what he doeth, yet we are sure that he will do no wrong to us or any of his creatures. Is it not enough? Is this, this not enough to make us rejoice in him and adore him? Divine sovereignty is never tyrannical. Jehovah is an autocrat, but never, but not a despot. Absolute power is safe in the hands of him who cannot err or act unrighteously. When the roll of the decrees in the books of the divine providence shall be opened, no eye shall there discern one word that should be blotted out, one syllable of error, one line of injustice, one letter of, of unholiness. Of none but the Lord of all can this be said. He judges perfectly and in righteousness, and he and he alone has the authority to do so. So the Lord reigns. How do I view life? I have a Lord that is reigning who, who will not act unjustly. Next thing we see in Psalm 97 is that he's powerful, but also he's wrathful. Look at verses 3 through 5. It says, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord and before the Lord of all the earth. That picture of the, the Lord, the sovereign Lord, is that the fire goes before him. It's, uh, it's a picture of, of an army that, that is going out and clearing host, uh, hostile lands before the ruler gets in. And his, his very essence, his, who he is, his nature, he is fire. There's fire that goes before his glory. There will be a day, what we see in this text, and actually I think I could actually teach this text in a that day, like revelation type teaching, but there will be a day in which this sovereign Lord who is reigning, who's sitting on a throne of righteousness and justice, that he will pour out his wrath. That he's keeping the books perfectly and flawlessly. And listen to me, I wrote it like this. He is a long-suffering and patient ruler. I'm thankful. Can anybody, anybody thankful for the long-suffering patience of, of God? Right? You and I are here because of his long-suffering. He is a long-suffering God. But listen to me. There will be a day that he will pour out his wrath upon all evil. And he may be long-suffering and patient now, but when time comes for him to pour out his wrath, he will make a short work of it. It says that <laughs> the fire goes out and just burns up his enemy like they were just dead grass. You ever, like, pull, put Roundup on some grass and let it die, then lit it on fire? One time, Blake, I literally just thought about this, and so you know what I'm thinking about already. One time, we, <clears throat> my dad's land, we were uh, planting a food plot there, and a big, tall pasture grass, and so we went in, and, you know, we cut it down. We sprayed it with Roundup, and we were just going to, you know, let it die. Then we were going to, you know, the wind was going like this, right? And so me and Blake were expert fire guys, and so we went out, and that stuff was dead, dead, too. Like, and so anyway, <clears throat> I lit it. You know, you burn face in the wind, right? So I lit it, and all of a sudden that wind flipped this way and started going straight towards the woods. And I'm talking about, it had to be an acre and a half, two-acre food plot. Like, I'm talking about it 
scurried across. You could see us running out there with little pine tree trying to beat stuff out. But the, that's the picture is that he, he's sovereign. When he decides to pour out his wrath, his enemies are going to be like dead grass that just got lit on fire. Foof. He gives more picture. He says, verse 5, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Man, I, I wish I had time just to just hang out there for a little while. But I think about mountains, right? Think about how we toil to try to get over mountains and climb mountains and the struggle that mountains present to us. Like people die trying to climb mountains. Well, when the Lord shows up on the scene, that which is an obstacle for us lays flat like a highway for him. Not, listen, not by his hand, but just his presence. So what does that mean for us? Let's apply that. First of all, that means that we don't have to take matters into our own hands. Right? We don't, we don't have to take matters into our own hands. That this sovereign Lord who created all things, who's sustaining all things, who sits on his throne perfectly, that one day he will right every wrong. That he will settle all accounts that he has been perfectly keeping, that all accounts will be settled, that he is keeping his books and will settle those accounts, that evil will be dealt with. And listen to me, it won't take our sovereign Lord long to handle it. So how does that impact my worldview? As I'm looking through life, as I'm looking through all the evil that's going on in the world, how people are saying what's bad is good and what's good is bad, how they're turning their eye from, and they're, they're turning their attention from God, that they're forsaking their creator. And I look at it and go, how, what in the world is going on? As we, as we talked about, as we look through the book of Psalms, we understand this, that, 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 that our enemy does have its final blow, if you will. But until that time comes, there will be like these little small pictures of victory. And if you look upon the landscape of the United States, American rest of the world, it looks like evil's winning. But we have a sovereign Lord who sits on a throne who is perfect in righteousness and holiness, that there will be a day, even though the enemy may be able to look like it's prospering, they will ultimately meet their maker one day, and he will, he will, they will be like mountains that melt away. They will be like uh, chafe that are burned up in a moment. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice that this this life, this world in which we live may be one that's like, it's tough right now. But it won't always be that way. Moving forward. He reigns powerfully, wrathfully. Verse 6, he reigns gloriously. So the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. That this God isn't one that it's up to us to figure out what he's like and who he is. We literally can walk outside and look at creation and go, there's a God who rules and reigns because the creation itself cries out his glory. 
But then even more specific than that, he's provided us with his word in which we, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And now the Holy Spirit has inspired men to, to give us this, this thing we call the Bible, that we understand that God has made his glory known, specifically through his son in Christ Jesus, but also the written word that we can look at and go, behold the glory of the one who created all things and reigns over all things. Next, I struggle with a word here because I've always used, already used exclusive, but I said that he reigns supremely just because in verses 7 through 9, it talks about these other gods, and I thought it was a cool play on words in the sense that we understand that he alone reigns, but there's also these other little G gods that are known throughout the world. And so we see this in 7 to 9. It says, all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boasts in the worthless idols, who worship him all. He says, worship him all you gods. He said, it's vain that there will be a day that those who have bowed down to other gods, little g gods, that they will be put to shame. Verse 8, Zion hears and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because your judgments, O Lord. Verse 9, for you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And he reigns supremely that even if there was such thing as other gods, that he reigns supreme. All other gods are, are figments of our imagination that we've made up to, to give ourselves some type of worldview, if you will, reason for living and something to do. We understand that he is supreme. He is above all gods. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that, listen to this, so that at the name of Jesus, what does it say? Every knee should bow. Where at? In heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every knee, not just believers' knees, but every knee is going to bow to him. Those that are in heaven, those that are on the earth, that are under earth, what that even means, I don't even know, but every knee will. But not only that, but it says every what? Tongue will confess that Christ Jesus is uh, the Lord the, to the glory of the Father. What that means is that Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Pharaoh, Pilate, Barabbas, Herod, you name them, every knee will bow to this guy, to this Lord of all the universe. And he's, <laughs> he's supreme. Lastly, he reigns graciously. Verses 10 and 11. It says, you, O oh you who love the Lord, hate evil. So it says, those who love the Lord hate evil. And so we got to take a time out for a moment. It's like, is there people who love the Lord and hate evil? How did that come about? Well, first of all, he's gracious because he saves people who loved evil and hated God. That and ultimately that what we see here is that in order for somebody to love the Lord, then God had to do a work in their life. That God had to really call them out of the depths of their deadness and give them a heart that would love him and hate sin. So out of this world in which we live in, we see evil prospering that, that God, what we're seeing is calling to himself a people that love him, not sin. Why is it? Because he reigns graciously. Just a side note, it says, and this is a verse in 
says, you, all, you who love the Lord hate evil. I heard, actually, J.J. may have been your dad one day when he was preaching on Sunday morning. Brother Brent, I think it was him, but he kept, he was saying, he was, trying, he was ultimately, I can't tell you how to do this and how to do that. But when it comes to the struggle with sin, I can't tell you all the ins and outs what to do, but I can tell you this. If you fall more in love with Jesus, then the sin stuff in your life will take care of. Because ultimately you cannot, it's, it's hard to both love God and love sin. Those two have a hard time coexisting. But thanks be to God that through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that God will take those who naturally love sin and hate God, give them a new heart that they love God and they'll learn to hate sin. It's the work of grace. It's the work of a gracious reigning Lord who has, has all... What's the word I'm looking for? He has permission. He has all authority to, to, to smite all of us. But before the foundation of the world that he promised a son, a bride, from every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue, and he's doing a work to call people from all over the face of the earth, let the islands be glad. And he's called a people from all over the place. To, to, he's given his, his son a people that were bought with his blood on Mount Calvary. Why? Because he is gracious. It's the only reason why that I can come up with. You got one better than you can preach it next week. He reigns graciously. First, he saves the people who hated evil who are loving him. That's a work of God, right? Not only that, but he preserves. So, <laughs> rubber's about to hit the road real quick, right? Worldview, the Lord reigns. Cool, that sounds all right, but what does that mean? That means that he's seated on his throne of righteousness and holiness and justice, and he will execute judgment in his timing. That evil may look like it's prospering, but they will meet their end. And it will, it will result in his praise and honor and glory. But what about, like, the meantime? Well, first of all, what he's doing as he's reigning is he's calling people out of darkness into light. So we just see people who hate evil, love the Lord. But not only does he do that, this is my worldview. This is how I view the world, right? Not only that, but he says that he preserves the lives of the saints. Is that even in this struggle, even in this life, this Lord who is reigning, he will preserve me. He will hold me. He will keep me. He will keep my feet from, from waning. He will hold me and he will not let go of me. He will Continue to sanctify me. He will preserve me. He will listen. He will prepare a table for me even in the presence of my enemies, David writes in Psalm 23, that the Lord who's reigning over everything in the universe, he looks to his people, and even though they may be walking through darkness, they may be walking through struggle, even though they're walking, living in a world that's not hospitable to them, he will preserve them. And he... Next, he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. That the Lord who reigns, he is, he is calling people to himself, and those who he calls, he is keeping. And he will deliver them. 
Verse 11, it says, light is shown for the righteousness. And uh, your translation may say light dawns for the righteous. Ultimately, when you see the word light there, oftentimes it is, is, it's in reference to God's word or his, his, his leadership, him giving us light. So <laughs> here's the picture. For those who he has called to himself, who love the Lord, who hate, hate evil, who he's preserving, he's also giving light to the righteous. As in he's giving us counsel. He is leading us. He is, he is guiding us. That we're, he's, we're not left here on our own. That he actually will guide those who he's called. He doesn't just save us a step back. He's an active reigning God. He's active in the lives of his believers. You may feel as if he's not. I want to tell you through the authority of the scripture that the God who saves you is also preserving you and he will give you light to walk through whatever it is that you are currently walking through. How can I say that? Because it says it right here. Justin, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Continue to seek. Because we promise, if we seek, we'll find. Sometimes when we're seeking the Lord, it's, you know, Christ tells in Matthew to ask, you know, there's the ask, seek, and knock. And I think that's really like the different degrees of seeking the Lord, definitely in prayer. It's that sometimes it's like we're sitting right beside each other and I just got to ask him. Like, I can hear his voice, right? Like, it's a very simple thing. And sometimes it's like he's in this building, but I don't quite know where he is, so I just got to seek him. Like, I got to go look for him. So it's, a, it's, it's not quite as comfortable as the asking, but it takes a little bit of perseverance, if you will. And then sometimes it's like there's a door between us, and I just got to keep knocking that thing. I just got to keep knocking, and what does he say? And the door will be opened. It doesn't say when the door's going to be open. It just says keep knocking, and eventually that door's going to be open. And oftentimes that's what it's like in our life and seeking. Is sometimes it's just like, hey, God, thank you. Sometimes it's like, I know you're here. And other times it's like, I don't know where you are. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The God who rules the universe, who has saved you, has called you to himself, he is holding you, he's preserving you. Even if you feel like you're not being preserved, he is and he will give light. There is light that is sown for the righteous. And listen to me. And not only does he save, preserve, deliver, lead, but he satisfies. It says, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. He satisfies. We're all, I say we're all, but when you're thinking about the world, isn't that what we want to find is satisfaction, joy, hope, peace? And no matter what's going on, that there's still an unshakable peace. With the only place that with all of our hearts, the only, only place that that can be found is in the Lord who reigns. That when we're seeking him, there will be joy here and forevermore. It's a joy that satisfies depths of our heart and soul that nothing else can satisfy. 
So here's where we land the plane in the worldview, verse 12. Those who develop this worldview that we know the Lord reigns perfectly without fall, fault or blemish, that he is working things to an end, that he will pour out his wrath upon all evil, it will all be done. And in the meantime, I know that he alone has saved me. He is preserving me. He's keeping me. He's leading me. What's the result of that worldview? Verse 12 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. I wrote it like this, that this worldview produces gladness in the Lord, which leads to giving thanks unto the Lord. Like what? How much sleep do we forfeit because we forget that the Lord's reigning? Not that this life is about rainbows and unicorns and walking on sunshine, which would be awesome, but anybody thinking that song in here, walking on sunshine? I just started thinking about it. But I won't sing, I'll spare you. But the Lord reigns is how you and I interpret everything in and around us. It's how we interpret our life. It's how we interpret others. It's how we interpret everything. And from it, we'll, it's one, and this is why the worldview is not just explaining and interpreting, but also applying. How, in you, how can you and I apply the fact that we know our Lord reigns? How can we actively each day apply the view that we know to be true, that we can live our life with that knowledge of the knowledge of Psalm 97? Well, a... Uh, this is not written in here, so I'm about to go off the wheel. A, we make it a, a weekly habit to join God's people together. This isn't a push for church membership. Legitimately, I say this all the time, when we don't connect ourselves to God's people, commit ourselves to God's people, the only person we're doing harm to is ourselves. That when I meet with my brothers and sisters week in and week out, and life has happened, I can come in gather on Sunday mornings with a bunch of people who know that the Lord reigns, but we're trying to work it out in the affairs of our life, and we need to be reminded of each other, hey, God is reigning. That we encourage one another, hey, I know your week was terrible this week, but Christ is still on his throne. We need to be reminded of one another. We commit to small groups. We commit to people that are going to impact our life and speak into our life and allow us to do the same. And we have to develop a discipline that each day or the morning that we spend time in God's Word. I know that's Justin, that's the answer for everything. It is. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. I can't, I can't, my, 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 what I believe to be true will always be disconnected from how I live my life if I'm not actively pursuing God through his word. 
Christianity and God's reign will always be an ideal, not my reality. How does, how does he shine light for the righteous? It isn't like we walk out every day and there's a sun that comes out and inside that sunbeam is like, Justin, here's, here's my will for your life today. Here's what I'm calling you to do. No, the lights already shine, first of all, in the sun, but it's light shine here that each day I go to it. How is he preserving me? He's preserving me through his word. He's preserving me as the Holy Spirit's doing work and, put, and, and, and giving me understanding of scriptures that is through that. I'll begin to develop not just an ideal, but I actually begin to apply the idea or the truth that God's reigning to my life. And it'll, it'll show up in the way that I react to people, right? Like everyday real life Christianity, like it'll show up in those random places whenever somebody cuts you off and flips you, the bird honks the horn, it'll show up there. Isn't that crazy to have a, have a trust in God so deep that it actually even impacts the way that I react to people? How I treat my wife and how I treat my kids and how I'm, how I'm an employee. When my boss is being overbearing and they're a jerk and I want to quit, but I can't because I need to pay the bills, is that the Lord's reigning. He's holding on to me. He's giving me revelation to be able to walk with him day in and day out. And as long as I'm seeking him and searching his word, I may have to ask, I may have to seek, and I may have to knock, but I'm going to keep doing that. He's going to lead me and he's going to guide me. That's kind of the places to start to make this ideal become our actual reality. One way that we can do that is that we make a habit of taking the Lord's Supper together, which we get to do this morning. And so musicians, Daniel, all y'all can come up as we wrap this up. This morning, we get to take the Lord's Supper together. If you're a guest with us here, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, you don't have to be a member of Cross Point to take the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, we just ask that you've placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe everything I'm talking about so far today is like the furthest thing from your mind. The only thing you need to hear me say is this, that there's a God who reigns over the universe, and every person will stand accountable before that God. And they will rather go to heaven or they will go to hell. And that, listen, where you go is based on one thing. What you do with Jesus. That God the Father in his forbearance and in his long-suffering has brought in his Son to be the Savior of the world. And scripture says that all of this, all this wrath that he has poured out on all forms of evil which, listen, which means, and we don't say this enough anymore, but those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus will experience the full wrath of God. The full wrath of God. The very wrath we talked about that, that melts mountains and burns up grass like this. That's the reality. But the good news of the gospel is that the Son of God became man, and on the cross, that very wrath that the God the Father had to pour out that we will see one day is that he poured it all on his Son. His Son drank that cup of wrath. So that anyone and everyone who would call upon his name can be spared from the wrath of God, that can be saved and delivered from it 
so that he was treated as if he was every sin that had ever been or ever will be committed so that you and I who are evil can be treated as if we have never sinned at all. The son was treated like us so that we could be treated like the son. Scripture says, repent and believe in this Jesus. It's that simple. Will you trust in him? Will you believe in him? This morning we're taking the Lord's Supper, so you don't have to be a full, I remember where I got there. You don't have to be a member of Cross Point to take the Lord's Supper with us. We ask you to be a follower of Jesus, to trust in the Lord. When Luke taught a couple weeks ago on the Lord's Supper, he gave us kind of a method or a way in which when we're, when, we're, when we're walking to the table, if you will, in our mind, when we're approaching the table of the Lord's table, which is another term for the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, is that there's a thing that we can do, not a checklist, we don't want to go there, but we want to make sure that we're taking of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, like the method in which we're doing, the manner in which we're doing it. And Luke reminded us this morning that it's not a matter of like a worthy participant because none of us are worthy to take of the Lord's Supper. It's about the worthy manner in which we're taking the Lord's Supper. And one way that we can do that as followers of Jesus is that we can, first of all, we can look back, right? So in our mind's eye, we're looking back at what the Lord has done. We look at the elements in our COVID communion cups. When we look at them, we think about the cross of Christ. We think about the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And we apply it to Psalm 97 and go, because of this, he's called me out of darkness into light. Because of the finished work, he will preserve me, and he will keep me, and he will lead me, and he will get me home. We look back at the finished work. We look back at what the God's done in our life. We look up, and we say, God, thank you. Thanks be to God. Let the nations rejoice. Let the people of God rejoice in what the Lord has done. So when we take this cup, it's not just this somber thing, but it's a, it's a, it's a thankfulness. God, thank you for this. Thank you for the body and the blood. Then we look, we look in. There's a sense in which we do look in, right, where we, we examine our heart, where we confess sin, where we, we do what we, we, lie, well, we, don't, we let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do, and we submit and we surrender to that. So when he, when he pulls out sin, we, we confess that. Whenever he says, hey, before you take this, go to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm sorry, I need you to forgive me, we go do that. There's a, there's a sense in which we examine ourselves, we look in, then we look around, right? We have, before we take the Lord's Supper, we all take it at the same time. We look around and, and we see that we get to celebrate what God's been doing in all of our lives. So there's unity, there's celebration because what he is doing, not just looking back at what he, what he has done, but what he is doing. That the, that the blood is still speaking, that the blood is still at work, that this, this, this death that was died 2,000 years ago and this resurrection on Easter Sunday, that it didn't just do a work now, but it's continuing to do a work. That it's preserving those who are, who are here today, that it's, it's still calling new ones into the family. We're celebrating what he's doing, but then we also look forward to what he will do with that day in eternity where we eat with him again. We look ahead, we look back, we look now what God is doing by looking at our brothers and sisters, then we look ahead to when he does get us home. 
We have the promise of nine, Psalm 97. Until he does, he's got us. I'm going to pray. We got some small group couples who are going to hand out the elements today. So Drew and Jared, and I don't remember who at all, John Ryan, and yeah, and uh, there's a third, Michael and Don, yeah. They're going to stand here. So the way that we do this, I'm going to pray. Uh, and when I say amen, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And uh, you just come to uh, whatever aisle you pick. For some reason, everybody always goes to that aisle. Uh, and, like, these two are done in, like, two seconds, and then everybody's just hanging out over there. And so, anyway, just watch it. And so uh, go to the one closest to you. Uh, but you're going to stand, and I'm going I'm to pray. And I'm going to say amen. You move forward and take the elements, and then take it back to your seat. Uh, and we'll wait for everybody to, to get it, and I'll come back up and lead us in taking it together. I think it's something we do as a community to, to remember together. So, everybody cool? Everybody understand what's going on? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we um, pray now as we enter into the time where we remember, and we, we're in, walking in obedience to you to, to remembering, God, that we are preaching the gospel to ourselves or preaching it to one another, that Jesus died, that the throne that is built on righteousness and, judge, uh, and holiness and justice, God, that this event that we're celebrating satisfied all the demands of that throne. And you and I, we here today, God, we, we stand accepted. We stand redeemed because of that work. God, we pray as we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and to pinpoint areas maybe in which we need to take care of before, God, that we will submit and surrender to. God, may you be honored and glorified as we as the church remember this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand and begin to move as you are ready.